Welcome to Geek Cred Live at DragonCon featuring Chris Gore. Hello everyone, I'm Steve Frickybrook, and welcome to Geek Cred Live at DragonCon. This is the podcast that delivers in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews about everything geek. Now I gotta say, this is a little different for me, because normally when I'm doing the show, it's just me in my home studio, talking into the mic. I, when I'm talking to a guest, it's always remote, but in this case, I actually have the guest within distance, you know, I can actually reach out and touch him. We're touching each other. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> and, thanks uh, for having me. It's thanks not, for having me as not a guest. that kind of touching. But, uh, <laughs> right. And of course, I have you guys, the live audience. So thank you all for coming. Yeah! <laughs> so, Chris, I, before we get started, I mean, we're at DragonCon. Um, yes. How, how's your DragonCon been? I mean, uh, first of all, it's been amazing. Um, I, I feel like it runs the gamut of the cute. The sexy and the disturbing, scary. Yes. So uh, yeah, that that's that's the range: cute, sexy, creepy. So um, and I've seen much of all of that, as as I've have you, I'm sure. So um, and I don't know. It's I love Dragon Con. It's definitely nerdy gras. I think is the best yeah. way. Sort yeah. of the spirit of Mardi Gras, but we're all wearing costumes. I keep saying though, they need to have a superhero bar. Why don't they just have a bar that's like? Sorry, no mask, no cape, no yeah. service. You're yes. not getting in. Yes. You got to have at least one or the other, a mask or a cape. So um, I feel like that could actually happen in real life. What do you think? That would, be, that would be cool, yeah. Can you imagine a bar you could go to where you could drink and just be wearing a mask or wearing a cape or do your favorite cosplay? Yeah, that'd be perfect. And this isn't your first time here either, right? No, it's my second time here. And, um, you know, when you told me about uh, speaking of geek cred, someone doesn't know how to uh, go into airplane mode. <laughs> You've lost your geek cred. <laughs> that was a video game sound when you lose. That was my best imitation of that. I'll be working on that one, obviously, because that tanked. Um, but uh, no, when you invited me on your show and it's called Geek Cred, I thought I was just honored that you would invite me. So I want to thank you for that. And all these people that are here on a Sunday evening to hang out and talk nerdy stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I do, I do gotta got ask before we get started, what's your favorite or the most, what you thought was the most impressive costume you've seen? Because Dragon Con is known for amazing costumes. Oh my God. Yeah, the costumes here are incredible. You know, everything from these incredibly accurate costumes from that are, I mean, I've seen, I saw Captain America that was just amazing. You know, like the World War II Captain America outfit, which actually looks practical. I love that. I saw a guy wearing that that looked like Chris Evans. He was incredible. And then um, I, 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 I love like the big robot. Like how do they make those things? They're not very <laughs> practical costumes. But um, what was interesting was going up and down in the elevators, it's like the elevators are cosplaying Dagobah because it is so <laughs> swampy in those elevators. Am I wrong? It's like... Wow, there's something familiar about this place. It smells bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I've just seen so many cool yeah. things. I don't know. Like, I, can, I go back to my room every night and just look through my phone and like, wow, I don't even remember that dude. Yeah, it's, it's hard what to pick. yourself? It's hard to pick one, but one of the ones that sticks out with me, it wasn't really like necessarily a costume per se, but in the Marriott, there was a really well done R2-D2 uh, you know, robotic who was driving around. But the guy who was driving it was wearing a Will Riker costume. And it looked oh. pretty, pretty similar. I mean, you had the hair down and everything. It's like, yep, that's Dragon Con for you. Somebody crossed the streams. I love, yeah, I love mashups. Mashup costumes are really creative. All right, so, so let's get started. So 
Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. What is the origin story of Chris Gore? I was bitten by a radioactive <laughs> Chris Hardwick. No. Um, what? I was bitten by a radioactive Chris Hardwick. Why would that not be a good origin story? I'm going to spread that. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, like uh, a lot of uh, people grew up who are in this room, grew up very nerdy and just sort of put all my efforts into my nerdy pursuits, making things as a kid, while other kids were out playing sports. Hope that worked out for them. <laughs> I was an indoor kid working on Aurora model kits and, uh, you know, got a, I got a newspaper out when I was a kid, which got me money. And then I realized, oh, now I can buy the things I like. So I collected movies and worked at a video store uh, through high school and college. And then, uh, I don't know, it's just one of those things where it's, I feel extremely lucky because um, I didn't follow a traditional path. Like, I actually went to college for two years. And at the time, my parents were kind of like arguing about who should be able to pay for it because they were divorced at the time. And I was getting financial aid. It could barely, I was struggling. I had like three jobs going to college. Oh, right? boy. And I was like, you know what? I, I dropped out of college and I read a book about how to publish a magazine. So that's how, that was how Film Threat kind of broke out. I started this uh, underground fanzine called Film Threat, which developed into a magazine. And yes, yes thank you. I was a subscriber. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, you probably have more issues than I do. Uh, but um, now it's a website, filmthreat.com. But um, what's odd is I dropped out of college and then I wrote a book years later while I was doing Film Threat called The Ultimate Film Festival Survival Guide. And that book, ironically, is required reading in college. So, um, and I just, I, I'm kind of a guy that, and I'm, a, I'm weird in the sense that like if I want to know how to do something, I'm really good at reading instructions and figuring out how to do it myself. Um, and then I, when I realized when I was going to school for a liberal arts degree, um, that I was paying a lot of money to buy expensive books to tell the professor, yes, I did in fact read the book. In fact, I may regurgitate the contents of that book to you in the form of a test. Uh, so that, I, I feel like unless you're going to college for something where you're, it's a technical skill, I feel like that thing is, I mean, you can go both ways for sure, but um, I dropped out and just would read every book that I possibly could about film. And I went to USC, the, the, the campus of USC, and I made a list. Because USC was like the dream. Like, that's where George Lucas went. Right. That's right. where, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg went there. Like, uh, it's, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Actually, Spielberg didn't go there. Where did he go? Was it USC? Anyways. Um, so anyways, I went to the bookstore, the, the bookstore at USC, and I wrote down the name of every book that was there. Because I thought, well, if I can't afford to go to the school, I can at least read the same books hmm. as the students going there. Right. And I did that. So I just bought as many books as I could and then over the years read them all. And uh, that's, I guess, sort of an origin story. And then my career is kind of splintered off into doing TV and other stuff. Yeah, you do so, you do so much stuff when I'm doing prep for a show like this. Normally I, I'm focusing on, on a specific topic or project, but with you it's kind of hard because you do, you do kind of everything. Well, it's like I tell my friends I keep my career portfolio diversified because there's no real <laughs> way to, in the entertainment business, mm -hmm. it's a freelance business. So it's like I recently did a thing for StarWars.com where I covered Celebration, but that's like a job and it lasted a weekend, and now that's over, and now I'm unemployed again. But I've been consistently at G4 for almost eight years now, so I'm really grateful for that. Right. Um, and then, I don't know, I just feel like um, I have this whole attitude about stuff, and I think this goes into like bullying, which I think is a big, I think so, every one of us at some stage in our life has had to deal with bullying at some level, right? I think it's sort of healthy ribbing and competitiveness, which I think is good, that's character building. 
Um, but then it gets off into sort of dark territories now, especially with the internet. And I have right. kids, and I'm really concerned mm. about bullying there in the school district they're in they have a zero tolerance policy for bullying so um i just always had this attitude like i don't care what you think of me mm -hmm. and that is like a protective shield against any kind of bullying so i feel like um uh you know our kids get a lot of messages in media and they'll get things like you should recycle that's in a lot of cartoons for young kids which is a good message there's another message be yourself which I feel like it, you gotta, it takes you till about maybe the age of 30 plus to kind of figure out <laughs> that. But if you can teach kids to don't care what other people think of you, it doesn't matter. Um, I think that that then becomes like this protective shield where it's like, ah, you can be, your, you can be who you are and, and um, there's no, you're not affected by judgment of others. Right. So that allows me to fail at many things. <laughs> Is that something you, you kind of had to learn growing up? Because you mentioned you were a big geek slash nerd. Huge, yeah, and I, I feel like because I had this sort of weird way of thinking that just helped me survive, you know, through just like making choices in my life that no kid would make, you know, about, you know, dropping out of college and just doing stupid, uh, making just stupid choices mm -hmm. uh, in that regard, you know, not taking a traditional path to anything. But I, not like I did it on purpose. It's not like I planned this out to work out that way. It just did. So, um, but I think that just has to do that I, I feel like um, ignorance is actually a good thing because it can, if, you know, there's certain things that I probably wouldn't do now because I know too much about it, like, you know, making an independent film because I raised a chunk of money and made an indie movie and it's like, oh yeah, those don't make money. You will not get rich doing that. <laughs> TV is much better work. It's consistent. Right. So, yeah. No. But, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm talking too no, much. No, you're, you're, you're this, great. This should be a conversation. I want to li listen to you guys. It, it makes guys. it easier for me. You talk, and I just sit here and ask the questions. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with Film Threat, and you started that very early on, what mm -hmm. appealed to you so much about independent film instead of writing about more mainstream film? Well, it wasn't called independent film then. It was actually, um, quick story about that, they were called regional movies. Mm. And these movies were just like filmmakers who'd raise money and make these movies. And... Um, 1989, well, actually, uh, uh, it was Robert Redford, of course, started the Sundance Film Festival, which previous to 1989 was called the United States Film Festival. Um, he then renamed it the Sundance Film Festival because of some lawsuit, and I think Sundance is a much better name. But he started um, this thing called the Sundance Institute where he would help filmmakers, like emerging filmmakers, and you can go to sundance.org to check this out. And what they did was is they noticed these filmmakers would make these movies and the scripts were really bad. And so what they were trying to do was say, wait, 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 don't, you know, don't make your movie yet. Why don't you think about the script? So they would team these filmmakers who had money up with uh, Hollywood screenwriters to help them develop their screenplays. Um, so it's a philanthropic organization helping the arts. And it was 1989 where independent film was really born because of the movie Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Um, that was Steven Soderbergh's movie, which won the Palme d'Or at uh, Cannes that year um, and played at Sundance in 89. And so I think that's the birth of indie film. And Film Threat started in 85. And I was just, frankly, I started Film Threat just because I wanted to meet people I liked. Like, I'd like to interview David Lynch. Wouldn't it be cool to go to his house? <laughs> I think so. Then I went to his house. So I, and it's cool. So I've gotten to meet and interview and talk to my heroes. 
and you're giving away the secret for why I started Geek Cred. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. You can meet people. It's like I've got a podcast. You should be on it. Like, but yeah. But like with David Lynch, I went to his house. It was great. He was working on a. He has two houses. This is a weird thing about him. Not. You'll hear weird things about me later. Trust me. <laughs> I might top him. But David Lynch has two houses directly next to each other. In one of the houses, he works and he paints. In the other house, he cooks. He will not cook in the house where he works and paints. In the other house, he loves to cook. Huh. <laughs> there you go. If you can do that, that's a good thing to do. But when I came into his studio, I, re I really wanted to talk to him about he was supposed to direct Return of the Jedi. Did you know that? Right. Yeah, I heard about that. When it was called Return of the Jedi, he was going to direct it. And David Lynch came in and was like, he had designed two races of aliens. One was the Ewoks, and the other ones were like the, uh, I forget the name of them, like the Yuzza or something, and they were these very long-legged creatures. And David Lynch very simply just looked and said, um, George, you've got these really, really t short creatures here, you've got these very tall creatures here, how am I supposed to make their eye lines match when they're talking to each other? <laughs> Which was a very simple, logical question as a director that you would ask, like right, how do you yeah. make short characters and tall characters interact together? And uh, yeah, so uh, it sounds like he used some of those ideas later in episode one, but he just had no interest in doing it. And David Lynch, it w Return of the Jedi was too developed along to, um, for David Lynch to really have much of an imprint. So he went off and did Dune. And to that I say, Father, the sleeper has awakened. <laughs> I love Dune. It's, uh, but I remember saying to, to David, I'm like, you know, it's, it's an admirable failure, Dune. It's beautiful looking. It's just like, it's kind of a mess at trying to condense all that story material. I remember going into it's the theater. It's a big, long book. And I had read the books. I had read that, the first Dune book like four times. I'd read probably up through seven, book seven, which was Heretics of Dune. And I remember going in, I'm like, it was embarrassing. Like I took my mom to a screening of Dune, you know, I was <laughs> in high school or something. And I'm like, oh, here, mom, just, you have to read this, this, uh, the, know what these terms mean. Mwadid, what? So, yeah, but it was cool to meet him and talk about that. And he, in his art studio, I recall that he was painting, he had taken some roadkill and was shellacking it into a painting. So it was like this dead squirrel in the midst of a painting and he was just kind of shellacking it so it was attached now to so, the So canvas. basically he's way more eccentric than anyone even realized. Uh, he <laughs> is, yeah, he's the real deal. I mean, that's what I love about David Lynch. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, took... 10 years to, almost 10 years to make Eraserhead, and that is one of the first midnight movies. Uh, it's sort of like midnight movies and indie films kind of came along around the same time, because the whole midnight movie phenomenon was something that was manufactured, it was created, it was these movies like Pink Flamingos and Eraserhead and movies that didn't have a place at your traditional theaters that they just decided, you know, I don't know, put El Topo on at midnight, maybe someone will come see it. Alejandro Jodorowsky, who is that guy? Um, so, yeah, I love uh, I, 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 I love that period where it was like you know studio movies were like indie movies. Now it's kind of flipped and like and then midnight movies were coming along. But it was definitely like the you know sort of late '80s to mid '90s, like the heyday of of indie film. And now it's a section of the video store if there's one in your neighborhood and it hasn't closed. So yeah. well, yeah, the fall of the video store. But at the same time, I think you flash forward to now. There's a lot of between the, the technology and the quality of the, tech, of, the, of the images you can get out of the technology, you can really do high, what would look like high-budget productions just a couple of years ago for, for a low amount of money, and you can connect with an audience and distribute online, and you've got crowdfunding like Kickstarter. I think we're kind of in a really interesting re renaissance for these really creative, independent 
uh, projects. You said everything that I would love. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and Indiegogo is also another yeah. good one for crowdsourcing. And um, uh, I, I love that. I really think that's definitely um, a whole new wave and a whole new renaissance. Like the guy who directed uh, District 9 made a short, right. put it online, and he was up for the Halo directing job. And did District 9, and that turned out pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love it. But it is, it's much, definitely more difficult than, sure, the, the tools are available, right, but yes. then there's a lot of garbage as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a lot of bad movies. Just because you can make one doesn't mean you should, or that, uh, will, that will be any good at all. They should make that into a bumper sticker. I would buy the patch and the jacket. <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. But it's, it's really interesting that now effects are, I mean, there's stuff you can do on your iPhone right now. Mm-hmm. You can download an app or you can insert an explosion into any piece of video. Because all videos need more explosions. <laughs> why not? There's, what is this one? I think it's called FX or Action FX and um, this app where you can insert like missiles. So <laughs> I could, you know, film you. There's like a car, yeah. A car like smashing on stuff. And I always play jokes on my aunts. I'm like, oh my God, did you see what happened to your car outside? And then I'll show the video of a car landing on her car <laughs> and she'll freak out. What? So some people might use that you know, to further their career. I'm just going to use it to play pranks. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's amazing what can be done just on these simple devices. I mean, yeah. um, I mean you can make a whole movie on this. There's iMovie, a, a right. less sophisticated version of iMovie available for the iPhone, five bucks. You know, so... I love that stuff. Not that you it. necessarily should make your big epic on the iPhone, but the fact that you could, does, I mean, is kind of amazing. I, I do like, it's good like for tests. It's good for like, right, um, yeah. when you see like, uh, in a lot of movies now, they'll work out action scenes just with like, you know, home cameras, like the stuntmen kind of playing. Like, right. oh, this will work. And then they've got it here for the director to look at. Like, oh, that kind of act. I've seen that in a lot of behind the scenes on DVDs, which I watch obsessively. Well, of course. Yes, yes. I'm sure you do as well. You've got <laughs> not, geek Not cred. as obsessively as you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do recommend, one of the things I do like to do is multitask. That's sort of a nerd thing. It's like, uh, I, li- I can't read books. It's not that I can't read them. I spend too much time doing things sitting down and in front of a computer screen. So the last thing I want to do is, well, it's the end of my evening. I'll read a book and relax for two hours. Can't do it. Um, I listen to books, and I love, especially if you live in LA, traffic is the oh, worst. Oh, yes. I am an audiobook freak. So, podcasts like yours and books I like to listen to in my car. And even Stephen King does annually a list of the best audiobooks based on A, the, the, you know, the book itself, and B, who reads the book. Hmm. So, it's really cool, uh, like the, the people that will actually read. I just, uh, I just, I'm very well listened. Is that <laughs> a term? Let's make sure. that a term. If it wasn't before, it is now. Yeah, but I just uh, uh, listened to World War Z. Is anyone familiar with that? And it's the upcoming movie, which might be delayed. Which um, might be a train wreck. It might be a train. I don't know. I heard the first 40 minutes is brilliant, and then it's then it goes down. Maybe that's not so much should be a movie. It's kind of a... What, what World War Z is, it's uh, written by a guy named Max Brooks, who's Mel Brooks' son. And he wrote a book. First of all, he wrote a book, uh, The Zombie Survival Guide, which is really practical advice for an apocalypse. Things like... If there's an emergency, fill up your bathtub with water because there might not be services like water and then you'll have a lot of water. Um, so uh, I love that book. And World War Z... Useful for more than just zombie apocalypse. Yes, yes, more than just that. So, But World War Z is an oral telling of the zombie war. 
World War. And it's from different perspectives. So you've got like soldiers who were at the Battle of Yonkers, voiced by Mark Hamill. You've got the doctor from China who originally found the sort of patient zero zombie case. And they're all played by different actors. Um, really amazing, like different voice actors uh, play these parts. And the music in it, they've got this chilling music, and it's like eight hours long, too. Most audiobooks are like, you know, four to six hours. This is like eight hours plus, and it's, I mean, I don't know why they want to make a movie out of it. To me, it's like an HBO series. Mm. Um, HBO, get on the zombie thing. AMC's doing pretty good with that Walking <laughs> Dead. Um, you might know something about that living here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that, uh, you know... I, so audiobooks is a big thing, so I like to multitask, and so I have wireless speakers throughout my whole place. So even while I'm in the bathroom, I can be listening to DVD commentary, there you go. There you go. or a book, or a podcast. I'm kind of, yeah, a nerd that way. So I highly recommend that, you know? Yeah. Wireless speakers, that they just, they're easy. They work. So in that, on that note, I was going to work on my costume for uh, <laughs> while I'm talking to you on this podcast, like I wore a costume actually at this awards show. Um, I wa- uh, did you hear about this? I was there. Uh, yeah. Uh, what? Should, I'll repeat the story, the PG version. I w- <laughs> went on this, and I um, I didn't really have my costume. I had a pair of blue underwear that I had on, and um, I found some gaffers tape in the back. Some, and I made using duct tape. I made like a belt. So I didn't have this belt on me. I'll show you this belt. I have a belt on that's a white belt that has a four. So imagine me with no clothes on, just wearing blue underwear, holding a fake cigar. So I was Ben Grimm on a bad Cosmic Ray day. That was my costume. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there's the, there's the picture. I, I was like, uh, you know, cosmic rays are really unpredictable. It happens to a lot of superheroes, okay? <laughs> Obviously, it's not clobbering time. So it's like... Uh, so that's sort of a so I did that. Um, right now I think I'm gonna make um, I'm gonna make Robin getting off work. Robin just got off work. Horrible day at the office in Gotham City. I've got some t I got t-shirts, some duct tape, some other stuff that I've pre-made. I don't know. I'm gonna make it while we're talking because I f- I tell my friends they say they call me I'm like the Martha Stewart of nerds because I like to <laughs> I like to make a lot of stuff. I do a lot of weird, bizarre craft projects. Because and nerds don't like creating things at all. Well, no, nerds love that. Like <laughs> exactly, modding and exactly. stuff. Like I took, um, I mean, I'll tell you a couple of things I did. I, I did this show uh, for Machinima called Craft Holes. The, sh- the, the show is these weird nerdy craft projects. One of them that I did, this is a really dumb thing. You can make fun of me all you want, but I go ahead and make this, and I'll tell you how to make it in about 30 seconds. I made, uh, if any here, you have a PS3? You have the PS3 and you have the six-axis controller, which the great thing about the six-axis controller is when you hold it on each end, it actually reacts to, you know, uh, where it is, uh, uh, you know, its proximity to the ground. Right. It's affected by how you move it, right, which is perfect for flight sims, except when you're holding it and you've got your elbows sticking out like this, it's really not practical. It's just like, I got to do all this. And when I thought, you know, it'd be great, put a flight stick on it. So I found this bottle of Axe Body Wash sampler for 49 cents at a Rite Aid, picked that up, poured out the Axe Body Wash, not interested, and I filled it with, um, I filled it with uh, uh, sand, just a little bit of sand so that it had give and weight. Then I took the cap and I 
used a glue gun to attach it to the bottom of the PS3 controller, screwed on the cap, and I had a flight stick controller for the PS3, and then you just go you like, go. a slight flick of the wrist is much better than doing this. All it was was an improvement on the PS3's, on, on Sony's design for their controller, which they're welcome to steal. I don't care. I don't <laughs> own any of that stuff. I just like to... I'll look at something and go, God, that should, you know, if that was just designed slightly differently, yeah. like even this case that I have, like I had to drill this hole out so that it would fit better. And I use this stuff that I get from England called Shugru. Has anyone, anyone ever heard of Shugru? No. It's spelled S-U-G-R-U. And Shugru is this stuff that, um, it's, it stays malleable for 30 minutes and then it sets. You can get different colors of it. And it's basically rubber. So you can make any shape out of rubber that you want. And I'm really good at making these shapes and these weird things with it. So um, I highly recommend that stuff. I use that stuff for modding constantly. Or like uh, something broke on my car or this. And I used to work on uh, motorcycles and cars, except now these days you need like s computer software yeah, to work on yeah. a car. So yeah, change the oil, you do this. No, it's not the way it is. You plug this stuff in and then the software tells you what's wrong with your car. Um, so, but I would have to, when I was working on this old Triumph, I would have to make my own parts because buying parts were expensive. So, so there you go. Um, I like to make stuff. So I'm going to be working on my Robin getting off work costume while I'm talking to you guys, if that's cool. <laughs> the only thing I'm missing is, a, is scissors, but I could probably just, you have scissors? Awesome. It's the only Swoopy thing I to need. The I've got everything else. But like while we're talking about other stuff, I'm going to multitask. There you go. I, I come with all my things that I need were in my backpack and I've already got I've already pre-made a couple things like this is the accurate from the 1960s um, Dick Grayson R from the uh, I just printed that out from my color printer and then I spray painted it with like a, uh, a clear coat so that it wouldn't smudge and I just put that on a thing that holds a holds a uh, like a jock bag and then I just put uh, Velcro on it so nice. that it would stick these are really cheap. Like, this is not up to my normal standards. But this is like, well, I'm going to do Ghetto Robin just got off work. Why not? You got to go, you got to go full Robin, as, as I like to say. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my God, that's awesome. This is more tools than I could have possibly imagined. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be doing that while we're, while we're chatting it up. Right. So, so while you're doing that, back to touch on some more indie film. Because... There are, there are a lot of people out there. I think even more as the tools become more advanced, more accessible. There's a lot of people that, you know, I'm going to go make this great epic movie and it's going to be awesome and everyone's right. going to love it. Um, so what advice do you have for aspiring in indie filmmakers aside from Don't Suck? Oh, my God. That is the best question ever. Wow. Well, first of all, there's a couple of things. It's sort of like um, I would first give you a piece of advice from John Waters. If you try to do something bad, you will succeed. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He also said, you should try and do something for 10 years. If you have no success at it, you should stop. <laughs> so if you're trying to be an actor, you've been doing it for 10 years and really had no success. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a reason. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, But what I would say to friends who are indie filmmakers is um, a couple of things. Um, is to find the thing that you do well and then just do that thing a lot. Um, whether it be you're, you're doing special effects um, whatever your strength is, play to your strength. Um, the other thing is make sure, and this is other things I would say, um, production value comes from cast and location. 
New York City as a location is production value. I mean, it's huge production value because New York is, is I mean, it's, it's New York, right? So, um, so find a unique location. I mean, you look at some of the best indie movies ever made. I mean, Night of the Living Dead, the original George Romero, 1968, was uh, shot at a house. It's just a house. That's pretty much the whole thing. Graveyard, house, and then basement. I mean, not much to it. So, um, uh, And then also actors. Um, I would avoid theater actors because theater acting and film acting are two totally different right. things. With theater acting, you're playing to a room and you're playing to an audience. You have to project. You have to kind of overemphasize your gesture so everyone can see you. Precisely. And in fact, one of the best notes, um, uh, women, uh, Jennifer, anyone watch The Office? Um, Pam? Here's a funny story. I was, uh, became friends with James Gunn and his then wife, uh, Jenna Fisher. Hung out with them at film festivals, hanging out, cool. I'm at Comic-Con and I see Jenna Fisher. And first of all, you should know, she's stunning. I mean, she's gorgeous. Gorgeous girl. Beautiful. So I'm talking to Jenna. I'm like, oh, what are you up to? You doing any, what acting gigs? He's like, she's like, I'm on this show called The Office. It's like, I watched that show, The Office. Who are you on The Office? Pam. Wait, he's like, that, pa- that's you, you, you're Pam? She's <laughs> Pam from The Office, but because in real life, she's this gorgeous girl. And on the show, she told me that when she went in for the audition for Pam, um, sh- her uh, manager said, act bored. Just act completely deadly bored and, and that is such a great note because normally people think when you're acting you've got to overdo it it's really underplayed I think mm-hmm. that like so t- to me um, getting good actors SAG actors is a huge part of that I mean actors and location is production value and then really have an interesting simple premise or hook I think that mm. is that is critical don't, don't try and do too much Yes, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, yeah, you're, a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff that I'll see, it's like too ambitious. And then the whole thing is, is the first few minutes of your movie should, be, should just be amazing. It should be one of those things that just grabs you. So, um, yeah, just having uh, programmed at some film festivals in the past, I think that um, I've just seen the, the, a lot, like every mistake a filmmaker can make. Right, yeah. You've, and, you've probably watched a lot of bad movies. Yeah, in fact, I would say that I see, I've seen more bad independent films than studio movies. The thing is this, I'd say with studio movies, they have less of an excuse to fail because they have, these very, they have all this money, all these uh, technicians that are... They do all this research and all these focus groups. Yeah, they've got less of an excuse. It's like you've got professionals that have worked decades in the in industry. You know, like, like there's no excuse. They've got the money. Yeah, indie films are kind of like birds with broken wings. You want them to succeed. And you can see the talent through the flaws. It's like, that's what I do love. Some of my favorite indie movies, you know, they're not perfect movies, but they're... They're entertaining, and there's like there's like at the, there's like this fruity center of it, like like a skittle. We are like, oh, it's chewy. It's there's something more here, more than just so kind of a, a special authenticity. Yes, absolutely, authenticity. You're like you're the human thesaurus, <laughs> Steve. You are the human thesaurus. Thank you. You're saving me on this. Um, but yeah, like yeah, like I really I look at that because audiences, and we're all audience here. Um, are forgiving of technical things. It doesn't matter if it's technically perfect, right? We've watched enough reality TV where it's, I don't care if the camera's shaky, as long as it doesn't make me sick, I don't care if it's perfect. And focus on your audio, too. That would be the other thing. Yeah, I was just saying, as an audio Audio, guy, a little close to my heart. Critical. Audio, audiences will forgive bad Bad video, but if if the audio makes their ears bleed, they're not going to watch. Absolutely. If they can't understand what's going on and the audio is bad, so make sure really clean audio, uh, cast, location, simple, 
and, uh, and don't bite off more than you could chew. And baby steps. I'll, I'll meet these filmmakers and they'll be like, yep, I'm working on my movie. And, I, and I'm like, okay, well, like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I need $4 million. I'm like, how do you know you need $4 million? How do you know? Because normally the answer is, when it comes to an indie movie, is it should be how much do you need for your movie? How much do you have? So there's... Um, um, in fact, I was talking to a buddy about uh, uh, this uh, project of his that he was trying to get off the ground. I'm like, you know what would be funny? We should just film actors reading your script. Because it's that, that would be an entertaining movie. Like, I would watch actors reading the script of your movie. Um, which came from a quote, it was Roger Ebert said, of the movie Wild Hogs, which starred what? Who's in it? John Travolta. Who else? William H. Macy. William H. Macy. Like, a great cast. Horrible movie. But... Tim Allen, but yeah, good, I mean, solid, entertaining actors, comedic actors, people that we like. He said he would rather see a documentary about them eating lunch than watch that movie. (laughs) Which I think is because they're interesting people. And I think that, you know, we discount that, like, you know, like that, I, 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 you know. Actors are people too. Yes, well, I mean, just like, you know, if they were really themselves and could be genuine and, and get away with just being frank about stuff, like, I, I, that would be an awesome. That would be awesome. I would watch that documentary. Right. Um, Ebert's kind of a hero of mine. I, I love him. I really think that he represents sort of a bygone era. You know, like there really are no film critics anymore. I've never considered myself a very good film critic. Um, I, I just, I mean, like I'm an enthusiast and I'm a fan, but a critic, like there, are, I, my flaws, I just tend to, I would rather be funny than give you insight. Uh, but I do like, I, do, I, I, I can offer maybe a perspective that other people won't see. And I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I'll like stuff that maybe I shouldn't like. Like, I love bad movies, good bad movies. I'm sorry. Ever, ever since I was forced to watch it, The Room just instantly comes to mind. Tommy Wiseau, artistic <laughs> who, genius. Who, who in here has auteur. seen The Room? Okay. I love The Room. O- only, two, only two of you, but uh, the rest of you. So um, good. So good. Good. Good if you're a masochist. Which apparently yes. you are. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, like there is such a thing as a good bad movie. I think though, if you try to make a bad movie, I think you can kind of see that it feels false. Right, right. But there are those ones that just sort of like birdemic, you know, that just sort of plop down onto the screen, and you're what? <laughs> I think it's I think it's because both Tommy and the guy behind Birdemic, I, I'm spacing on his name. They're delusional. Yeah. I mean, they're delusional. They think they've made a good movie. Well, you write, direct, and star in the movie. I mean, that's kind of a red flag right there for the room. <laughs> Lisa, you tearing me apart! I love that. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> For those of you that, that have seen... You can look this up. You can look up clips of The Room on YouTube. Yes, and be traumatized. You guys don't know what I'm doing here, but I, I tried to make green sleeves out of duct tape for my Robin costume, but it didn't quite work. I have a different thing I'm going to do, which is why I need the scissors. Uh-huh. So this is what's happening while I'm multitasking and talking to you. Uh, yeah. So now, for the past few years, you've been doing a lot of television. Yes. So is that something you'd really set out, you wanted, you'd always wanted to do, or did that just kind of happen? No, I did not want to do television. Um, I kind of fell into it. At the time, I was, I was a stay-at-home dad. My kids were, like, you know, preschool age. I was a stay-at-home dad, and I was writing a book, the film festival book. Right. My then-wife was working for Disney, and I, uh, someone thought that what I wrote on the Internet was funny. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Would you come in for audition? What? This was for a show called The X Show, which was FX's sort of response to The Man Show. Um, And 
I was like, we need a film guy. It's like, all right, well, whatever. I guess I'll come in. And it was that thing that like, I don't care attitude. I feel it makes you more attractive and doesn't make you look, come off as being needy. It can also be misconstrued as confidence. I just really didn't care. I cared more about like raising my kids and getting my book done on time because I wouldn't have gotten the second half of my advance from St. Martin's Press uh, at that, that moment. So I came in, I just really didn't care. I was just like, went in like, ah, whatever. Like, what do you think of this? Ah, and I just sort of did a rant that they thought was funny. And they're like, we want you to be on TV. It's like, well, I don't know. I might, I'm just busy. I don't think I can do it. So the more I just said no, the more they wanted me. And then every job leads to the next job. That's kind of how it ended up working out for me. Every single job just led to the next one because I didn't care. It's like, it's sort of a Zen thing. Like I don't care and then I actually do care about the work. Right. But I, I don't go in with an agenda. And I think that when you meet a lot of Hollywood people, maybe you guys have experienced this and if there are any Hollywood people in the audience, my apologies for if I come <laughs> off as I'm about to insult you, but a lot of them have like an agenda or like, I'm going to do this or I'm going to network. And I go into it with like, I'm just going to hang out and have fun with people. And if I meet people that I connect with and like, I've made a new friend. I made a new friend here, this guy, Shane, local comedian here. We just started hanging out. He joined me on a podcast about uh, video games, there Game Room go. Junkies. I had no agenda with that. I'm like, hey, let's just hang out. People that, you know. So if it leads to something later, cool. If it doesn't, so what? I made a new friend. So I don't have an agenda going, and I think too many people in Hollywood have an agenda. My agenda is, like, I don't care. And so I'll be the one guy that's, like, really fun to hang out with. My agenda is have fun. And I have discovered that a lot of what goes into casting is they just want people that are fun to hang out with for 12 grueling hours right. on a set or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, especially if you're shooting, you know, movie that's or TV, you know, TV even more so. You you could be looking at 9 months out of the year. You don't want someone it, who's just it, exactly. you hate to who you hate that person. You want someone that's fun to hang out with. I'm pretty fun to hang out with. I, at least I like to think I'm fun to hang out with. So, um, that actually is what has gotten me work. It's definitely not talent. That's what I will say. <laughs> Uh, that's sort of, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why anyone, I have no professional television training whatsoever, but it is one of those things where I don't get nervous in front of people. I don't get nervous doing live TV. I don't care. I can only be genuine and myself. I'm really bad as a host, which is why the whole premise of my podcast, Podcrash, is that I'm a guest because I don't think I'm a good <laughs> host. So, um, yeah, that's my story. If you can use any of those ideas... Feel free. <laughs> and I think kind of touching in what you're saying about you don't really care, you don't really stress it too much. You've interviewed so many people and some really big names, both in the geek community like, say, Stan Lee and, and people in the yeah. mainstream, mainstream celebrities. How, how do you do that? It's just oh, 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 I've got a good story about that. Like I, when I first started Film Threat, I was very nervous interviewing celebrities. I would always send other people to do it because I, something made me nervous about it. Then I realized as I started doing it that um, I was like, oh, they're more nervous than I am because I'm a journalist. Like, they're afraid of me. It's the other way around. Hmm. Flipped it. The only person I have ever gotten nervous interviewing, like, I don't care. I'll go in, I'll interview. I've interviewed Johnny Depp. I've interviewed who, I mean, I don't know. Go, go across the list. Ryan Reynolds the Green Lantern from the movies. Um, I, the one person that made me nervous one time was Angelina Jolie. 
I walk in the room, and usually when I interview someone of you know this stature of celebrity, you've got 30 seconds to establish a rapport. So I like to just be, I'll be funny, I'll be myself, I try to be you know, relaxing, you sit down, you establish that quick rapport, you've got this much time to do it, and then you, know, you fire away questions, and I usually like to have funny, unusual questions. I walk in and Angelina Jolie's like, hey, I like your jacket. I'm like, oh yeah, cool, thanks. She's like, that's pretty awesome. And she's like talking to me about my jacket, then I'm like starting to get all hot, and I'm like, I think she's like hitting on me. <laughs> Angelina Jolie's like talking to me like I'm a person, she flipped it, she's, She's talking to me. So then I start to interview her and I start to stammer. I've never stammered interviewing anyone in my life. Then I'm like, she is exuding sexual energy here. I can, it's, it's, it's as real as the fact that I'm wearing pants, I think, <laughs> as I look down. Um, uh, yeah, so it was really disarming and I like stammered when I talked to her and then I had to like compose myself and she's like, it's okay, you can start over. And she was so nice that made me even more nervous. So um, it, was, it was interesting because what she was doing was the thing that I thought I would always do. I would come in to do these celebrity interviews, which is annoying um, because you've got so little time. But I always try to just have a human moment, a, just a quick human real moment with that person so they feel relaxed and trust me when I ask a goofy question. I would never make fun of a celebrity, but in all the interviews that I've done, with celebrities, I am the butt of humor if it's appropriate. Um, because I, I'll make fun of me, I, that's okay. Um, so I take my work seriously, but I clearly don't take myself seriously, especially if you follow my Twitter and saw those photos of me dressed as a male slave Leia. <laughs> or in my Ben Grimm Fantastic Four is the Thing outfit. Um, yeah, so I don't take myself uh, too seriously. But the work I take very seriously. So yeah, Angelina Jolie really made me nervous. <laughs> and then my work did this thing where they cut this they cut the interview to make it look like I screwed up even more so you could see me like stammering then they cut back and I'm still stammering again and I'm like it didn't last that long you guys cut that you made me look like an happened. idiot but then it was funny and I don't care if it's funny I did my job because that's my job sometimes is to be funny right. and I do like that Attack of the Show will allow me to not only talk about movies and spout my opinions on that but you know every once in a while they let me be funny and sometimes I Sometimes I'm funny. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so rapid fire time. So reaction time is a factor. So don't think Wait, too reaction much. Reaction time. What are what? these? What? Are these going to be serious questions? <laughs> not even. I'm not even through with my costume here. I'm just. I'm just getting to the good part. Answer with whatever comes to mind. Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Dark side or light side? Oh wait a second. Can I go back to that Star Wars one? Sure. <laughs> Prequels or the J.J. Yes. Abrams? Which which are we doing? Are we mixing it up or are we just doing franchise? Franchise, sure. Mm, I'll still go Star Wars, but I will say that the J.J. Abrams um, Star Trek is probably the best of any of these reboots that mm -hmm. we've seen of late. And and the prequels do kind of bring down. <laughs> they bring Star down, Wars. yeah, they bring it down. But the same thing, it's at the same time, it's just it's Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Marvel or DC? Ooh. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say DC because that's Team Batman. Mm -hmm. So Justice League over Avengers? Uh, I'm going to go Avengers on that one. I'm going to go Avengers on that one, Steve. Did I win? <laughs> <laughs> Live action or animated? What kind of animation? Any, any kind. Uh, <laughs> well, it's weird also because today live action is kind of melded with. I mean, you look at the Star Wars prequels, and it's a Muppet movie. It's true, yeah. It's a digital Muppet movie. Um, gosh, I'll just say live action. Mm -hmm. Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. 
Mac or PC? Mac. If you could have Give me a, a hard one. <laughs> if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh man. Oh. <sighs> um I, you know, oh man, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yeah, you asked for a hard question. These are very nerdy nerdy. Um, I don't know. I mean, the one thing would be like you could be what's that one character from the X-Men where he would just absorb other superheroes power superhero powers, but then that would assume that there are other superheroes to absorb powers from. I am about to explode. Uh I don't know. I would probably do something that would be of a a kinetic nature like invisible woman like you could be invisible you could turn other things invisible but then you would also have like powers to sort of levitate things and move things sort of like for I, I like her I think her powers are far underestimated in the Marvel Universe like that would be you could you could do so many things with that if you were creative in a way it's almost like having a Green Lantern power ring it really hmm. is it's how creative you are using that superpower so what do you use he that? He said, that's my, that's my long-winded explanation. No. He said overthinking it. <laughs> no, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. So would you use your power for good, or would you use it for your own ends? Well, I, I will tell you, actually, technically I'm a mutant. Um, so, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, um, when my then-wife was pregnant, I would urinate more than her. <laughs> and it was weird. I'm like, you know, when you're pregnant, you've... You have kids. You're a father, sir, sitting in the front row with your children, one would assume. I'm assuming. Um, and when a woman is pregnant, she pees a lot. So I was peeing more than my then wife. I'm like, oh, this is weird. So my doctor's like, all right, all right. Just, you know, keep, keep a chart of how many times you pee and how often or how much. So, of course, I got a little cup, little uh, measuring cup. I, every time I go to the bathroom, urinate in it, six ounces, 10.38 a.m., and I just kept track. Me being nerdy, I've got a spreadsheet. It's all very organized. <laughs> of course. Uh, I bring this to my doctor, who's like, oh, my gosh. goes, you urinate three times more than the average person. <laughs> I'm sending you to a urologist. So I go to this urologist who does an ultrasound on me, which is something that you, know, you would do to you know, make sure the, the health of the baby. You know, it's the little sound, you get the waves and you see what the baby looks like. The guy looks, and this guy, this technician's like very dry, looks, he goes, hey man, um, you ever uh, been in a car accident? I was like, no, I, I've never been in a car accident in my life. Never seriously injured. You ever been to Mexico? What? I have never been to Mexico. Because going goes, to Mexico is so like being in a car accident. I can't find your other kidney. <laughs> I was born what? with one kidney. I have one larger kidney. It's cigar-shaped. And my superpower is I urinate three times more than the average person. So <laughs> if I were in Professor X's Academy, my, my superhero name might be the Urinator. My power is when the, the villains show up, I say... I'll be right back. I got to pee. I'll be right back. I'll just be right back, guys. Don't worry. I'll be there. Or I could join the Brotherhood of Mutants. I have no idea how useful this power is. But yeah, I have one kidney. And I, 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 if, if I'm working with people like in a field shoot with a crew, I always say, look, just so you know, I'm not going to the bathroom to do anything illicit. I am actually uh, going to pee a lot because I am physically built that way. And since then, I've met two other people who also have one kidney. So it is. I know that it's rare, but... Uh, but yeah, I, there's not much advantage to this. The one thing is I can't donate a kidney. That I know for sure. And my doctor said, yeah, mm, you might want to avoid contact sports. Easy. And skydiving. Never even thought about it. I'm good with never doing it. I, I yeah. <laughs> I can go see the IMAX movie that will make me sick from heights. So, yeah. There you go. What might be your favorite movie quote? Oh, 
Um, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's Let's Get Out of Here. Let's Get Out of Here is the most written line of dialogue in the movies. Probably, yeah. Which is why I end every episode of my podcast by saying, let's get out of here! That's what I say. Uh, because I can show you every Star Wars movie, they say it. Every, you look at so many action movies, you could do a montage of people saying, let's get out of here. It's crazy. Interestingly, the line of dialogue that is the most written line in a script for television is, you'll never guess, you can guess. Just throw Oh, I have to guess? Let's get out of here? No, it's not. <laughs> it's, what's that supposed to mean? Once you become aware of that these are the two most written lines, every time I see it, it bothers me. Dang like, you, Chris Gore. Now I can never watch something the same uh, way. TV writer getting paid too much. You had to throw that in there. So now that I'm aware of it, it actually annoys me when I see it in a movie or a TV show because it's so cliche. So I won't say that I like it so much as I notice it. And these kind of things bother me. Hmm. If you were offered the chance to work with any actor or director, dead or alive, who might it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Probably Steven Soderbergh. I know that's a weird answer, but Soderbergh I love because he's the kind of guy who can do big budget Hollywood things with big stars, but like he still keeps like an indie film aesthetic as he's making the movie, so they don't feel like big budget movies, and then he'll also go make a movie like Bubble with non-actors. So Soderbergh's a guy that I... In fact, he, back in the day, back in like 87 or 88, he bought an entire run of Film Threat magazines and sent me like a check, which I don't know if I ever cashed it, but um, it was really funny. He wrote me this note that was kind of a mean note. He was being sarcastic. And uh, it was cool. that. And then I interviewed him years later, and he remembered that. He reminded me that he bought a full run of uh, issues of, back issues of Film Threat at the time. And uh, I, I've always admired him and his ability to just... Uh, you know, his sort of rejection of Hollywood while at the same time using their money to make movies <laughs> like Recently Contagion. He's also a director that's hard to pin down. He's worked in multiple genres, right. you know, caper films, character studies, comedies. Uh, I, I really love Soderbergh, um, but that, I mean, yeah. All right. Weird so, answer, I know. No, I, I think that, that's a really interesting answer. So that's kind of it for Rapid Fire. So what? Wait, let's do more. Those are good. Okay, well, well this kind of ties in. What? Let's get the audience involved. What? Yeah, come on, you're here. Yeah. I know it's hot in this room. I, I want to try and get Let you me guys hear you. Let's get questions incorporated, but we're kind of running out of time, but there's a couple more questions I want to be sure to get in. What might be the geekiest thing you've ever done? Um, recently or just in my life? I can't think of my However life. However you want to take a couple, that. I mean, like I tricked out my car to be like the Batmobile, so <laughs> um, I... I uh, here, here, dumb story. I scraped the side... Uh, the, my, some of the rear quarter panel on the passenger side of my car got scraped. Oh, I was parked in LA, that happens. And of course, it's one of those things where someone will look at it and go, hey, I can fix that for you. I have a scrape on my car, I don't care, I don't care. And I already had gotten a dent on the back of my car and I did the thing, um, people don't use bumper stickers in Los Angeles, but I do, I use them to hide dents. Um, uh, so, so I, uh, I looked at this scrape in the back, like, well, I could spend 600 bucks to get that fixed. Or I went on Etsy and I found these, these plastic uh, stickers of bats, a swarm of bats, and I ordered two sets, one going in one direction, one the other. So the back of my uh, quarter panel on the back of my car is a giant swarm of bats coming off the back, and it looks really badass. <laughs> um, so, and then I just started adding other bat 
I have a Bat logo in front. With all due respect to my Toyota RAV4 2006, I prefer Batman over the Toyota logo. Of course. I feel this is a... This is a very OCD strange thing about me is I don't like corporate logos. I like certain products like Burt's Bees, Purell. But why would I pay to advertise their stuff by having their branding? I'd never go to the Gap and wear a shirt that said Gap or G. Um, so what I do is I, this is so, I peel off the labels of things and then I put stickers on stuff. So I'll have like a Batman sticker or a sticker of a pint of beer. Why? I like beer. I like Batman. Sure, why not? I, like, I know, it's weird. So... Most recently, I'd say the most recent weird thing is I made a, I took a Han Solo 12-inch in carbonite um, figure, um, used a Dremel to cut out Han Solo, and then I took a life cast of my face made when I was 22 years old and replaced my face with Han Solo. I can show it to you right now if um, you are willing to look at this. I have pictures, because I save all my stuff in like albums um, of, stuff that I've created. I'll fire up this thing, it's a little projector so everybody can see this. Um, it looks, it's a really weird prod, project, but I, li I like to be, you know, like they had this thing at the recent Star Wars celebration, did anybody go there? No. Anyone go to that? No. Nope. Um, you could get your face in carbonite. If you could oh, dim I, lights, I heard dim about lights. that. Um, I can show you some of this um, here. We have the technology. Booting up, booting up. We'll see what orientation I've got. Uh, but but um, so this is what I made. And I just encourage people to be uh, creative. Um, I'll show you some of this. Uh, so this is what it looks like. And this is, nice. um, I spray painted it. So I embedded my, it looks like almost like a Mighty Mug, right? Because <laughs> I kept the Han Solo hands, which, and then I antiqued it by putting a layer of black and then a layer of shellac or a, a clear coat layer, and then that's the Han Solo in carbonite, and then there's my face in carbonite. And I have that like up on my wall as like an art piece. So One of a kind. It is kind of a one of a kind thing, and I do these projects constantly. Like I'm like, oh, um, I, just, I just like to do nerdy projects. Um, I'll show you a couple more. I'm, I like, I love to clean, um, and so, but I also love Batman. How could I clean with Batman? Well, what I did was I took, I took a bottle of glass cleaner, added a Batman cowl to it. I'll find that one. I, I will find it. And then I just, I, oh, uh, and then I, I added, I made it look like a Batman cleaning bottle. I've got it here somewhere. I will find it. Um, so, yeah. I'm almost there. He said, almost there. Stalling Stay on time. target. Stay um, on target. Or no, wait. Here, here's something I made recently was um, I uh, use a Bluetooth headset, although I like to call them blue douche headsets because they look, <laughs> I mean, uh, not a fan of them. But um, uh, so one thing I thought, well, like, I wonder would people be into this? This is some market research. I'm going to ask you guys right now. What I did was I took the thing which is called an ear loop, right? An ear loop is this... Um, thing that goes around the Bluetooth thing that fits inside of your earlobe, right, right? right? So it holds it in place. But I thought, wouldn't it be more fun to have like a bat wing version of that? Ah, so I just sculpted that's so it. cool. And I thought, like, would people buy that? I don't know. Yes. Um, like, but then would they, would they buy different versions? I just did that as a prototype. Yes, um, I could do elf, that's exactly it, elf ears. I could do um, wings like Captain America. So I just sculpted a few prototypes 
and that was one. Here's another thing. Okay, you're going to think this is very strange. As I was at Star Wars Celebration, you guys can do this. It's a very simple trick. It's a thing that is a product that's marketed. Oh, here I found my bat thing. Uh, so this is just fun. This is just like there. It's all very I did was nice. just glue the cowl. Very nice. It's a, it's, most of my stuff is like, I've got a glue gun. I could make that now when I've I I've got clean, a glue gun and I know how to use it. It's way more fun than just having a normal thing. I also put a cape on the back that I <laughs> cut out of. Uh, those are my cleaning bottles, actually. <laughs> so I have cool. R2-D2 cleaning bottles. And uh, which I made out of cup toppers. Do you remember those cup toppers that came out? Right. Um, yeah, so that's what I made there. I wonder if I have a shot of my car that has the bat wing. I don't think I do, actually, unfortunately. Um, but wait, what was, I, what was I talking about before? The, 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 I was going to go to some other pictures. I had something I wanted to show you. He said, Mr. ADD. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh, this is fun. I made for, this actually was in the LA Times. I made, I always do a um, weird Halloween pumpkin. This year I did the Occupy pumpkin, which was the Occupy movement in the form of pumpkins. Uh, the year before that I did the human scent of pumpkin. <laughs> which is that. <laughs> what? What? I thought that was fun. Um, if I can, oh, here's a better picture of the ear wing thing that I was telling you about. Um, I'll just show you some of that, which is great for a podcast. Um, but that's that stuff Sugar I was telling you about. That's, it's connected. The ear loop is there. And um, I don't know that it's like I would wear it necessarily, but I could see kids wearing this. So I don't know. Maybe would. But like what, what do you price it at? I don't know. Oh, that's a Batman mask I made. I use the, um, I put eyelets in there to make it so because those one size fits all Batman masks don't fit very well. So I added eyelets like a shoe or a corset, and you can tie it in the back so that it fits much better. So hmm. yeah, these are just some of the dumb products that I have made while I listen to DVD commentary and <laughs> or other things in my, while I'm working on stuff. Well, I hate to end this, but I wanted to get your guys' question, but we're just about out of time. Oh, um, let's get questions. Let's get questions. What's, what's, is there, there's another show coming in here, right? Yeah, unfor unfortunately. So I'm going to have to wrap this up. Thank you so much for talking with me, well, Chris. Thank you. You definitely thank have you. some I, geek cred. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, guys, all for coming. Um, if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback, make your voice heard. Call 818-925-4335. That's 818-925-GEEK or email geekcred at geekcred.net. And you can also find the show notes with much more information, including how to keep up with the show on Facebook and Twitter, how you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, and much more. And that's all at geekcred.net. So thank you all so much for coming. And until next time, take us out. Let's get out of here.